I always tell our people that if I pray for them and they hit the floor talking in tongues, I'm not responsible. On my uh, top three influential pastors list, the first one would be the senior pastor of Ken Island United Methodist Church. Uh, soon to no longer be United Methodist, but I digress. Uh, and that would be Mark Farnell. When I started going to to that church, which is the church that I ended up getting saved at, um, he was actually a brand new pastor of that church as well. Um, so that worked really well that me and him basically came through the doors of that church at the very same time. And he was somebody that, you know, that poured into me as much as possible and, you know, ended up being the guy that uh, first confirmed my call to ministry. And, you know, he, he was somebody that just played a major role in my faith, faith walk in general. Um, so I put him at number one on, on my list for sure. Second person on that list, I would put, this is not, you know, this is somebody I've talked to a few times, um, but he really makes a list because of his um, his courage more than anything else. Um, and that's Rob Renfro, who is one of the uh, former pastors at the Woodlands Methodist Church. And, you know, he's somebody, like I said, I've communicated with a few times, but his boldness to stand more than anything else is why I would I would put him on this list. Um, he's somebody who has not been scared to talk about the things that need to be talked about, especially going on in Methodism. Um, and his his courage in that way has always brought it to me to not really be afraid to talk about that type of stuff either, um, sometimes to almost my detriment uh, within the church. And third on my list, and this may seem like a little bit of a cop-out, uh, but, the, but the senior pastor... Uh, the church that I'm serving now because, and that's more just uh, for the future. I think you're gunning for a raise, honestly. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, that's possible. You know, he's going to hey, listen to this. Yeah. I, he's, you know, he's, Ryan's possible. thinking about cranking out another baby and getting another, <laughs> another baby. My wife's not working. You know, I could use a few extra dollars, you know, yeah, I mean? so, so. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this is more, tough. This is more for the future uh, with the with the knowledge that he's going to pour into me about ministry being somebody who's done it uh, longer than Amen. longer than I have um, will help me, you know, kind of bring in my preaching and my pastoral care work and all that. So I definitely think that that's something that uh, needs to be said. A real quick honorable mention on this. Uh, would be an Episcopal priest, David Green, um, who ended up leading me on the path to walking away from the faith when I was a teenager. Wow. But without that situation and without him being the guy at that time, I don't think I would have ended up where I am now. Mm. Um, so I think that, uh, though it's a little... Uh, unconventional i would put him as an honor honorable mention on my list for that reason okay amen so you actually have the the, the paul timothy relationship right now with your pastor or with the senior pastor. yeah i would say so for sure that's great hang on to yeah. that yeah that's that's really that's really valuable for sure so yeah. what i want to know before we move on is can you give us uh, can you give us or the listeners, um, you know, I guess whoever means more to you, um, can you give us a story um, about one of your influences where they have really helped you at an important juncture in your life? Yeah, so I would say uh, going with, with Pastor Mark from Ken Island, when I first started calling, feeling a, a calling to ministry, is is a really good point with him um because he's not somebody that let me sell myself short i was somebody that when i felt that call call to ministry i was i was fighting everything in my power to not stand behind a pulpit 
So I, you know, I was trying my hand at trying to get involved in youth ministry um, and, and, you know, the men, men's ministry group, anything that kept me away from a pulpit mm-hmm. because I just didn't feel like, A, I, I was, you know, the person for a position like that. Um, and I didn't, I was nowhere close to deserving a, a position like that. And he was just somebody that didn't allow me to sell myself short. Right. So he let me go into those other spaces. He still let me do that. But when I failed in those spaces, for lack of a better term, um, he looked at me and basically told me, I told you so that's not it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so I think that, you know, that's that's something major there. But I, I would say, like, in an actual story, the first time that I told him that I, I completely gave in and said that it was, you know, it was uh, pulpit ministry that I was I was being called to. He, he looked me direct me directly in the eyes um, and said, it's about time you figured that out. And, mm-hmm. you know sat there and talked with me for that conversation ended up being 45 minutes to maybe an hour about, you know, that was something that he felt even before I came to faith. The first time that I came into that church and I talked to him and all of that, he knew that's where I was going to end up, which is, which is still to this day wild to me. Um, as I walked Mm -hmm. through the door with, you know, uh, a new Japan pro wrestling, uh, bullet club t-shirt on um and <laughs> so you My know man. but yeah he was also some he's also somebody he was involved in uh the wrestling scene for a long time so that was something that's that great. we had a link on almost automatically which was cool in its own right that's amazing that's awesome yeah he had worked with like um he worked with like Ted DiBiase and all that stuff for mm. in the years past, which was really cool. That is cool. But yeah. I got um, I got Britt Baker's autograph. That's that's all I can say on that. That's pretty nice. That's I met Britt Baker at the uh, Comic Con in Little Rock last year. Mm. And I and there's this one famous picture of her uh, where she did that lights out match with Thunder Rosa. And she's got this picture where there's blood just pouring from her face. And um, that became like the big, that became the big work of art, you know, as far as photography goes, that came out of that match. And I got her to sign that. Awesome. Uh, That has nothing to do with our personal influences, so Britt Baker's not on my list. But, uh, Clayton, you went first last time, so you're going to go last this time. Well, that's fine. The first shall be last anyway in the kingdom. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so, um, Ryan, you didn't spend very long on yours, so I feel compelled not to spend very long on mine, even though I, I could go on for a while. Um, these are in no particular order. But just the first one that comes to mind out of the three that I have are number one, Michael Sullivan. Michael Sullivan was the uh, pastor at Unity Assembly of God whenever I was 19 or 20 years old and I started going there. I was uh, the first youth pastor that I served. I was 19 years old. And so let me let me say this right off the bat. Number one, no 19-year-old should ever be a youth pastor. Number two... Other teens will eat you alive. Yeah, pretty much. Um, Number two, not only should no 19-year-old be a youth pastor, but um, I'm almost convinced that no one should be a youth pastor. Uh, (laughs) Amen to that as well. I was a youth pastor for nine months... um, at a IPHC congregation that is no longer in existence. If you don't know what the IPHC is, it is the International Pentecostal Holiness Church. And they are a very solid denomination overall. Uh, Very theologically solid, very grounded in the history and tradition of the charismatic Pentecostal movement. Um, But 
the particular pastor that I had over me in that congregation was, well, probably insane. He was he was narcissistic. He was manipulative. Um, he could he could easily be Jim Jones if he wanted to be because he's so he's so charismatic and he's so um, manipulative and he's sneaky and slimy and underhanded. Um, I won't get into his name. He's clearly not on my list of influences. But the reason I bring him up is because I served at that church for nine months before going over to Unity Assembly of God, and I left broken. I left that church broken and beat down when I went to the pastor, when I went to my pastor at that IPHC church and told him, you know, basically that I, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm done. I'm, I want to resign. He called me every name in the book, tore me up one side and down the other, accused me of things that I, I didn't do, that everyone knows that I didn't do. He accused me of all kinds of awful things. And then I left and I showed up at Unity Assembly of God. And the reason I went there is because I knew Mike Sullivan previously, previous to that, because he was a substitute teacher at the high school that I went to. And so I knew him as a as an occasional substitute teacher, and I knew he was a pastor. And so I thought, well, I'll just visit Mike's church. And the first Sunday that I visited his church, um, he preached, gave the altar call. I went up to receive prayer because I was just so broken, drained, and and destroyed. And he knew a little bit hmm. of what I went through, but he didn't know everything. And he wrapped his arms around me and he said, I don't know why, but I feel compelled to tell you that he can't do that to you anymore. Hmm. You're safe now. Wow. And I broke immediately. And I started hanging out with Mike Sullivan. I started going to the office every time he was in the office. And I would go to hospital visits with him. I was basically, he, I was basically an intern. Um, I told him I wanted to do, I told him I wanted to get involved in ministry one day whenever I was at the office hanging out with him, I, I told him, you know, I, I feel called to preach. I want to do ministry. And he said, you want to do ministry, huh? And I said, yeah. And he brings me into the bathroom, gets a toilet brush, scrubs the toilet. And then he hands me the brush and says, go ye and do likewise. Amen. <laughs> Amen. He said, That's ministry. Um, mm -hmm. And Mike was so, Mike Sullivan was so patient with me because I was looking back on it. I just became increasingly aware of how annoying I was wanting to do everything, wanting to get involved, get my hands dirty. And I had no, I had no idea what I was asking. I had no idea what I wanted. Mm -hmm. um, and he was just so patient with me. And um, then I was there at that church for several months. It wasn't quite a year. And one day he gave me a ride to the church and he said, uh, I wanted to let you know before I told everyone else at the church, I've accepted a position at such and such assembly of God and we're going to leave. And I was like 1920 at the time and I didn't really have anything going on. I said, you know, if you got an extra room with the parsonage, I could always come with you. <laughs> <laughs> and I was dead serious. I would have, I would have followed that man to hell and back. And uh, well, obviously I didn't go with him, but I still can. Like he makes my list. He's still uh, one of the most influential pastors that I've ever had the privilege to sit under. And I, I kind of take. He's the one that told me. He's the one that told me to preach like an Arminian and sleep like a Calvinist. Amen. So That's he's, great advice. It is. He's a, he's a wonderful man of God. Number two 
my grandfather. Like I said, these are in no particular order, but if they were in a particular order, my grandfather would be number one. My grandfather is a classical Pentecostal preacher. He's been in ministry for over 40 years. He's pastored five different times, I think. But he's mostly been an evangelist. He's been that guy you call if you want a fiery preacher for about a, for about a week and a half. And he's... I've, I've been with my grandpa everywhere. He helped me get my start in ministry. He was pastoring at the time that I felt like I was called to preach before I went to before I went to serve my first youth pastor. I was 14 years old when I felt the call to preach. And I told my grandpa I was going to preach. I, I wanted to preach. And, you know, he pretty much said, well, son, here's a King James Bible in a pulpit. Get started. Now, I would never do that to a 14-year-old who, who told me they wanted to preach. But there's something to be said for it because I I got thrown in head first and I had to sink or swim. And I, cause I, asked, I was asking my grandpa all kinds of questions like, well, how do you preach? And he didn't, he, my grandpa, like, my grandpa is a wonderful guy to just sit down and talk to, but he's not the teaching type, right? He, he's just not the teaching type. So, like, I would ask him, well, how do you preach? He'd say, well, just pray about it. But, like, that's it. Because <laughs> that's, that's all he's ever done. He's just prayed about it. And it's like, well, how do you do sermon notes? You don't. <laughs> so, that's it. And so, he, that, you know, that, that's all him. Um, but... I, I'm so most of the things that I learned from my grandpa, I had to learn by watching him, and I had mm. to learn by by listening very carefully because he didn't always explain things well. Uh, he still doesn't explain things well. So most of what I've learned from my grandpa, I just learned by watching him, and and what I've learned mostly from him is a reliance on God because that's how he does things. Like he's got to rely on God for everything. Um, he grew up learning reliance on God because his, his parents lived through the depression. Mm. Um, he relies on God for food. He rely, he relies on God for water. He relies on God for, for whatever he's going to preach. And that's just the biggest thing I've learned from him was reliance on God. Mm. Um, and then the third guy on my list, who I actually met with him today, his name's Mark Likens. He's he's another former pastor of mine. I sat at his church for two or three years um, before I went and accepted another youth pastor position. Um, but he uh, he pastors a non-denominational church, and I got connected with Mark Likens because. I was a part of a Southern Baptist church plant that really wanted to be like Mark Driscoll, Arkansas version. Like they wanted to be Mars Hill Church, Seattle in Arkansas. And um, they pretty much killed their own church because they just put everybody under church discipline because guess what? Nobody's perfect. Um, Jeez. So I, you know, I like, I believe in church discipline. Don't get me wrong. I fully believe in church discipline. I think it needs to be exercised, but like, man, they drove that into the ground. And if you did something least bit wrong, you were under church discipline. Are they still in existence now? No. Like they, they had their last service about a year after I left. Mm, that bad. Um, okay. I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm not going to think of myself this highly. Well, maybe I am, but I'm pretty sure me leaving is what started the process of them dying because after I left, they put somebody else under church discipline. Then they put somebody else under church discipline and those other two guys left. And it was just, I could huh. get into what the issues were, um, but I won't do it on this episode. Pretty much they, they killed the entire young adults ministry we had going on. Hmm. And I wasn't doing it any favors either because there, because there were some things going on in my life personally that I was, that I wanted to go to, the, go to my pastor and elders and talk about. 
an address, but they distanced themselves from from me and from everybody, and it made it it made it hard to talk to them. So they were just so concentrated on wanting to do the. They were just so concentrated on wanting to do the, you know, kind of reformed Mars Hill thing and wanting to look like an Acts 29 church and be cool that they didn't really know how to do ministry. Hmm. The only one, that church had four elders, and there's only two of them that I know of that are still in active ministry. Wow. One of them went off to plant another church, and another one is like doing some kind of. Um, he's he's doing ministry, but it's like a. It's like a van ministry. Like him and his wife felt like they were called to just live in a van, and so they go around with all these other people who live in vans, and they do like this church thing on the road. It's it's weird, but it's ministry. You know, they they're teaching people okay. about Jesus, and that's what matters. All right. But yeah, so uh, Mark Likens, I came to his church after that after that Southern Baptist Acts 29-ish church plant went belly up. And his church was the first non-denominational church, like truly non-denominational church that I'd ever encountered. Because any other non-denominational church in our town is, is either like Baptists who are mad at the Southern Baptist Convention or Pentecostals who are mad at the Assemblies of God. Um <laughs> And this church was interesting because they were a non-denominational church that Mark Likens was preaching through books of the Bible. The guy who did the music had a master's in church music, and he was actually picking out sacred songs along with contemporary worship choruses and stuff, and it didn't suck. The worship, the worship actually felt meaningful. And I guarantee you, if I walked into their church today, it, it, it's even, you know, it's just the same as it was. They, and they do the Lord's Supper. Well, they didn't do it whenever I went there, but they, but they now do the Lord's Supper every Sunday. So that's, but Mark Likens, the reason he's so influential to me is because I fell in love with his preaching style at first, because that's how I met him. A friend of mine was going to his church and said, hey, you've got to come check out the way this guy preaches. He's really rational and reasonable when it comes to interpreting scripture and it's like he actually believes what he's talking about he's and and he just he's not trying to sell anybody anything he's not like a used car salesman preacher he, you know it's like oh okay well I'll check it out and see what I think and I went in I went in skeptical and I came out a believer and when I showed up at his church well, of course, I don't mean that in a conversion sense because I was already a believer, but I was a believer in what my friend was saying. Mm-hmm. But I, when I showed up at his church, I was, again, hurt and broken over what happened at that church plant. My plan was to go, show up to church, worship, shake hands with the pastor, and leave. Don't do people. Don't get near people. I sat by my, well, I sat with my friend who went there at the time, and then, him and his him and his wife at the time moved away, and so it was just me going there. And I just I just stayed away from everyone for a while. I eventually I got involved in the church there, but it was the pastor there, Mark Likens, that made me feel safe to get involved. And he just he shielded me in a way because, like I said, when I was at the church plant, they tried to put me under church discipline for something. Um, again, it was something unreasonable. Um, and, and it was unreasonable that the way they were going to implement it too. Again, I won't get into the details of it, but when I started going to church at Mark Likens's church at Grace Fellowship, my former pastor actually had the balls. You might want to edit that part out. He actually had the gonads to call up Mark Likens, my new pastor, and say, hey, we would appreciate it if you would continue uh, disciplining Logan for stuff that he did while he was under while he was at our church and when mark asked him what it was uh and he, the explanation was given to him mark said no i don't think i'll do that and i don't think you have any business asking me to do that mm. um, 
So That's Mark, great. yeah. So Mark stood up for me, and um, um, he, given given what the situation was over, he did want to do like some counseling with me, but he wasn't going to put me under discipline for it. And so we did counseling for a while, and um, and he got me into teaching a Sunday school class, and then. Whenever it came time, whenever I went to him and said, hey, I've got a position offered to me to go to this other church and serve as a youth pastor, like he brought me up before the church and had everybody lay hands on me and send me off. Amen. Awesome. And then when that didn't work out, like a year and a half later, I came back and it was just like I never left. So it's like, yeah, man. I, yeah. I love Mark Likens' church. I love Grace Fellowship. Mark Likens is, like, if you, you just need to go to gracefellows.org, that's his church's website, and just listen to his sermons, because he's got, he's got a very conversational style of preaching, and he just reads the text and tells you what's there, and he doesn't give a crap what you think about it. So, Amen. Yeah, that, those are my influences. <laughs> So my only question at the end of that is how in the world did you become Presbyterian? <laughs> well, boys, that's a, boys, that is a long story. I'll give you the short of it, though. I was looking into the Presbyterian position on infant baptism while I was still a part of this uh, uh, SBC Acts 29-ish church plant because I was teaching the young adults class there and the curriculum that we were using at the time, which is the gospel project, by the way, I still, I still highly recommend the gospel project. Um, Good stuff. Yeah. It's wonderful. At the time they did a, uh, at the time they did like a two week stint in between books of the Bible or in between what they were teaching to go through uh, the ordinances of the church, Lord's supper and baptism. And, um, the lesson on baptism, because the gospel project is written mostly by Southern Baptists, but every once in a while they'll get like Kevin DeYoung or somebody to come in. Mm-hmm. Um, it shows you the two main views on baptism, credo and pedo baptism. And it talks about both of those. And so I wanted to be able to teach that lesson without mischaracterizing the pedo Baptist position. And so I studied the lesson. And I actually found debates on YouTube uh, with Doug Wilson. I didn't really, I had heard some about Doug Wilson at the time, but I didn't really know who he was. Um, but I had found debates between James White and Doug Wilson about, about paedobaptism and infant, ba- or paedobaptism and creobaptism. And I found debates between James White and Greg Strawbridge. And I watched those debates. And the, the first one I watched was James White and Doug Wilson. And I went into the debate on James White's side and came out on Doug Wilson's side. That's the only way I know how to explain it. And you're referring to his debate on our Roman Catholics, our brothers and sisters? Yes, our Roman Catholics, our brothers and sisters in Christ by virtue of their baptism. And so I... I, And I realize that's a a slightly separate issue than basic credo versus pedo. Yeah. because that gets into federal vision, which I'm a proponent of federal vision. I'll go ahead and say that right now. You know, go ahead, you know, send me all the hate mail you want. Uh, my email address is uh, Ryan at New Faith Community Church. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't get to me because you got it wrong. So, <laughs> <laughs> But no, send, send me all the hate mail. Um, but I came out on Doug Wilson's side. And so my, I noticed my conviction starting to change a little bit on it. But I didn't really voice my convictions that much because we were predominantly Baptist. And I wanted to try and um, be as submissive as, as reasonably possible to our pastors and elders and stuff like that. And then, of course, the week after that, they taught on the Lord's Supper. And I wanted to get familiar with the positions on the Lord's Supper. So basically what I did is in, when I taught both of those lessons in our young adults class, I, on the uh, baptism issue, I drew a line down the middle of the board and said, these are the scriptures that Credo Baptists use to support their position. 
these are the scriptures that Pado Baptists use to support their position. You've got the Bible, you've got the Holy Spirit, you figure it out. And that's what I did the next week with the Lord's Supper lesson. I, I drew a square because there's four main positions on the Lord's Supper. And I said, these are the scriptures that each position uses to support their position. Well, there's five main positions, but the lesson... The, Transimitation. The, yeah, there's, there's five main positions, but the book that I was using just gave four. Well, um, they were wrong. Now I know. <laughs> but I said, these are the scriptures that each position uses to support their position. Uh, you've got the Bible, you've got the Holy Spirit, you figure it out. And our elders didn't really like that I did that. At the like, church plant? Yeah. Okay. At the, when I was at the church plant, they didn't really like that I did that because they really wanted me to hammer hard on what our position was. And it's like, like if you really believe the validity of your position, then you should have enough faith that that the that the young adults in my class are going to come to that position because I was very careful not to share my own opinion. Mm-hmm. Um. So that's that's kind of uh, that's kind of what happened. Um, okay. Now, how I became a Presbyterian through all of that was um, after I left the church plant. And, and I said I was going to be short. This is the short version. we got to do like three episodes to cover my whole story. But how I became Presbyterian was I started going to Mark Likens' church after I left the, the SBC church plant. And um, they did a Wednesday night Bible study, but I just didn't go to it. I was working at a call center at the time, and it was just more, it was, it was really out of the way from the call center to my house for me to stop in to Wednesday night Bible study at my church Mm -hmm. because I was just getting off as they were starting. And so I would have missed like the first 30 minutes of it. So I didn't go to Bible study at Grace Fellowship, but there was a Cumberland Presbyterian church on the way to my house that had Wednesday night Bible study. And they started at seven, whereas ours started at six 30. So on Wednesday night, so it gave you that extra time to actually be there. Right. And so on Wednesday nights, I just started going to Bible study at the Cumberland Presbyterian Church because they were the closest thing to a to a Presbyterian church that we had in our area, other than uh, the Associate Reformed Church all the way in Pottsville and Covenant Presbyterian on the other side of town. So I started going to uh, Wednesday night Bible study at the Cumberland Presbyterian Church at Dover. And I realized uh, about two or three weeks into the Bible study, we were going through the Gospel of Matthew at the time, I realized two or three weeks into the Bible study that their Cumberland Presbyterian Church doesn't even have a Cumberland Presbyterian pastor. He's free will Baptist. Okay. And um, so, like, I'm talking to him about about stuff, and and he's just like, well, you know, I I agree with some of that. I disagree with some of it. You know, he didn't really treat it as a big deal one way or the other. He was just, you know, he was just happy to be there. And they loved him. Uh, They still love him. He's still the pastor there to this day, even though he's still, you know, free will Baptist, Mm -hmm. which they're fine with. He's fine with. It all works out. But it was the elders of that church that I got to know and got to asking them questions (coughs) about what the Cumberland Presbyterian Church believes. And so they, they gave me a copy of the Confession of Faith. And then through the process of me going to church there on Wednesday nights, I got to know the pastor more. And he asked me, he started asking me to come and preach for him whenever he couldn't be there. And after about four or five times of me preaching there whenever he was on vacation or sick or something, uh, the elders of their church was like, hey, there's a Cumberland Presbyterian church up the road that doesn't have a pastor. Would you be interested in filling the pulpit? I said, and, and what I told them was, I mean, yeah, I'll go if they give me a call. But I fully did not expect them to give me a call because I've, you know, as a preacher, I've heard that before. Yeah, man, I'll call you, you know, just. Mm-hmm. I fully did not expect them to give me a call, but I actually got a call the next day. The next, I, I got a call from 
from the, they would be the first church that I pastored. Um, I got a call from them and they said, you know, hey, we heard that you've been preaching at Dover and we like what we hear. Would you want to come fill the pulpit for us while we look for a pastor? And I said, yeah, I'll do that. And then they would ask, they would ask me to preach for two weeks. They asked a Southern Baptist dude to preach for another two weeks. And they would just flip-flop us back and forth two weeks at a time. And they actually offered it to the SBC dude first, and he turned them down because he's not Presbyterian. And, and I said, I said, yes, but I told them, I said, I said, I'll gladly be your pastor, but I'm not Cumberland Presbyterian. They said, oh, don't worry, we'll fix that. <laughs> and so they gave me a copy of the Confession of Faith. They sent me off to the program of alternate studies, and lo and behold, a Cumberland Presbyterian was created. And hmm. uh, I was there at that church for a year and a half. That's got stories of its own. And then I transitioned over to the church where I'm serving now at Mars Hill Cumberland Presbyterian Church. And, I, and come September, I will have been there for four years. Have you ever studied the... the... I know you, you know you're familiar with like James White esque his arguments for credo baptism, but have you ever studied the other arguments for credo baptism? I didn't like, know there were other arguments for credo baptism. Yes, there's there's other arguments than a covenantal argument because that's only one side off to the far corner, like this little in our camera. Mm. That is really the only covenantal credo-baptist argument. You have because, this whole other world and specter or sphere of credo-baptism arguments. Because I'm not, so, when I argue for credo-baptism, I'm not arguing for like a covenant theology um, reasoning for it. Although they have some solid arguments in some of the, some of their debates for it. I'm not, you know, counting, discrediting them, but I'm just saying, like, that's only a far corner of what this is. Mm -hmm. Well, I, the, there's three arguments that I've heard. The first one is pretty much the one I grew up with, which was Jesus was baptized by immersion, therefore we should be baptized like Jesus, which I think is yeah. That terrible. could go either way, though. That right. could go towards infants. Yeah. Um, now, I know that, and you know that, but, you know. Jesus was baptized by immersion, therefore we should be baptized by immersion. Well, I take that back. I've heard four arguments. The Jesus one, I've heard, you know, well, there's no there's no infants baptized in the New Testament. I've heard that one. <clears throat> I've heard James White's covenantal arguments. And then your argument is probably the best one I've heard, that I don't quite have an answer for, uh, but I'm not ready to jump ship yet. Well, I'm okay. not ready to jump ship at all. But yeah. your argument was over First Peter 3.21, which was, you know, how can an infant appeal to God for a good conscience? Mm -hmm. That's that's probably the best argument I've heard. And, and then also looking at, in regards to the context of that, especially in First Peter 3, because... You know, that whole ending part of the chapter is, is just bizarre. Because you have mm -hmm. the verse 19, he's he's going to the pr spirits in prison and preaching victory over them. And then and then you got verse, you know, you guess the whole thing with Noah and then 21 shows up. Well, the problem is, is that people don't know a context. You don't know what Peter's trying to do. And he's trying to do the same kind of thing as um, what Paul does with Adam as using him as an archetype. So the thing is, is that Peter is using him as an, as Enoch as an archetype. So basically he is saying he's referencing first Enoch, actually. Um, he's saying that Enoch went up to, um, went up to God on this, on the behalf of the Nephilim or not the Nephilim, the, the, the angels that tried to, you know, do all that stuff with them, with the humans and all those things. He's mm -hmm. going to be half of them, of the spirits in prison, which are essentially people who are in the divine council in heaven and who wanted to do their own thing. Mm 
So they're fallen angels. And Enoch says he's going on behalf of them and he's going to talk to God. Hey, they're very sorry. Can you let us out? That kind of thing. And God says, no, because the only thing they want is destruction. <clears throat> and so what Peter is saying, this is like Noah, as he is going into the ark, he is following after Yahweh's commands. And so when we are baptized, we're saying, no, we're siding with the victor, Jesus. So in verse 19, when it says Jesus goes into the spirits of prison, and he is saying, I have victory over you. You're fallen angels who've been trying to call all of these, causing all of these evil things to occur throughout the entirety of the history of mankind. I'm the victor now. And those who are baptized in my name swear allegiance to me. So that's why I view 21 that way is because of it's an allegiance oath. Because I'm viewing the same way as what a first century Christian would look at it as this is me dedicating my entirety of my life over to God. Because if they were to be baptized, I mean, it's the same way even now for Middle Eastern cultures, you know, because they're perfectly fine with you saying, oh, I believe in Jesus. I'm going to start going to church, things like that. You get baptized, well, that's when the disowning and, and the, uh, the violence comes across. Um, it's because you've now switched allegiance from Allah to Yahweh. It's the same way for us when we're baptized. When we have confession and repentance and we switch over, we make that allegiance oath, we're saying, I'm not going to follow the world anymore. I'm not going to follow these evil powers and principalities of the air. But now, instead, I'm going to follow after the king. Hmm. So, so the, the answer, the question is still the same. How can an infant make that declaration? Hmm. And my answer is they can't. There's no way. And even if you come up with a theology of proxy faith, as in the, through the faith of whoever guardian that they're under, it still does not answer the question. It's just you're going around it. Hmm. But that's hmm. just my two cents. All I'm saying is that was my that, that was my way of saying your Presbyterian is wrong. Yeah, yeah you know. All I'm saying. What did is you say, you Ryan? Already said that uh, the the tulip was starting to wilt just a little bit. We'll get we'll get you the rest of the way when it comes to baptism and everything. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about it. We're gonna have to change the mm -hmm. name of this podcast before you know it. No, yeah. no, we're not. We're good. Um, yeah. <laughs> my whole thing <clears throat> is. I wish you could have a denomination where Credo Baptists and Pado Baptists could just exist with one another and hold hands and sing Kumbaya. Now, I realize that the United Methodist Church is like that, but they also have lesbian Buddhists. So, yeah. 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 Well, and yeah, so it was never meant to be that way on either case, but, um, <laughs> but you know. The, the thing about the United Methodist Church was, and you'll hear a lot of uh, people that are going global at this point, and even some people that are saying United, the, the, the United Methodist Church ended up being a, a lot of, uh, the spot that a lot of Baptists uh, who got divorced and wasn't, weren't allowed to pastor mm -hmm. in their church anymore or yeah. got fired for their, from their church for whatever reason it may have been, they ended up in the United Methodist Church. And that's where you get a lot of people, you know, who uh, who would probably share the same title of Methobaptist with me, but yeah. you know, for for different reasons, obviously. Um, yeah, I mean, the story of every Southern Baptist who has the story of every Southern Baptist pastor who has become Cumberland Presbyterian um, is basically that they got divorced and they can't pastor in yep. the SBC anymore. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, that's that's pretty much it. I have I have probably met one Baptist who genuinely had a change in theology and became Cumberland Presbyterian, but the rest of them just got divorced and couldn't be SBC anymore. And that's well, completely uh, dependent well, who upon was Tom Askell's boy that ended up going out to uh, Idaho. Jared Jared Longshore. Yeah, yeah. Wait, wait, was that okay? Was he? When, was he a Tom Askell guy? Yeah, he, he was, was the on the associate pastor of Tom's church. 
Yeah. I didn't know that. He was on the Yeah, he yeah. was on the podcast of founders and everything. Yeah. I didn't know where Jer- Jared Longshore came from. I just yeah, thought he was an associate just, pastor at Tom Askell's church. Uh, was the now he's a an elder at, at Christ Church in Moscow. Yeah, I just assumed that they spliced Doug Wilson's DNA, and <laughs> well, that's all that's happening over there. Yeah, so like not only Jared Longshore's go, uh, is leaving, but Joe Rigney. Yeah, um, yeah, I knew he's I knew, leaving. I knew, I know Joe Rigney. I know who he is. He worked with John Piper for a long time, and, and he was the he was the president over the seminary, and yep. and uh, he got saved and became a Presbyterian. <laughs> I, I think I think the rule is if you're going to move anywhere within a 20 mile radius of that town, mm-hmm. you have to be a Presbyterian, or Doug Wilson will find you. And I'm yeah, and then have all of his church members. You sing know. psalms outside of your house. Yeah, which is <laughs> is really weird. It's so, very I, mean, I got why they did it like in front of like the courthouses and everything during COVID. I get that. Yeah. But like, you know, when they just do it in random places, I'm like, eh, that's a little <laughs> odd. <laughs> that's a little cultish. <laughs> yeah. I'm okay with it. But I it's funny, I got I told you all about my youth pa- I told you about my United Methodist friend Chance who uh, has introduced his youngins to Doug Wilson before. Mm. Um, he every time he gets mad, like and just gets spewing mad, he's just like, "I'm going to go up to Idaho and join Doug Wilson's church." And then wow. whenever he's no longer mad, he's just like, "No, nah, I'm not going to do that. That's a bad idea." <laughs> yeah, there's too many Calvinists for him right there. Yeah, that's wild. We need to have a. Uh, him on i think for the next episode on dallas god i would love to have chance on if he would do it i can't get him to do podcasting hardly ever to like i used to be able to get him to do it all the time but now he's like married and he's working and like has a life and stuff it's weird (laughs) (laughs) yeah like us none of those things Anyway, so I gotta get we need, through. We need my to have list. chance. Yeah, yeah, you do. We need to have chance on. We need to have Joshua Shooping on. There's a, we need to just talk one day and just compile a list of folks that we want on. Mm-hmm. Both of those in that order too. Mm-hmm. Like Chance and then Josh. Don't interview Josh about the leaving orthodoxy thing. He's been interviewed to death over that now. I oh, I know. Yeah, we'll we'll do something else like. Why yeah. he's got a weird haircut or something. Yeah. He's still got that orthodox beard. He does. It's it's kind of cool, though. Yeah. Anyway, so what's your list, um, so, so I'll be uh, probably just as quick as Ryan, but I'll have some discussion on it. So my top one is probably my pastor who I had um, when I surrendered to ministry because I surrendered to, to Jesus at 16 in my life, and that was 2008. And then a year later, I surrendered to ministry. But in that time period between when I surrendered to ministry versus when I'm actually stepping in a pulpit and doing pulpit supply, I got somehow or another, my family got involved in the church split at the church that I was at. And it was, it was over Calvinism versus non-Calvinism. And it became a whole, just a very dirty thing. It became very ugly real quick and split the church over it because of that. So me and my, my mom, uh, my mom was a single parent. And so I was just living with her. We left and I went to this church called Bexpur Baptist, which is on the border between four city and Palestine. And, um, Started going there, and it was actually a guy who I had known who used to go to the church I was at growing up, but he left to for you know pursue ministry himself. And the first person, his name is Justin Murphy, and he has really taught me, especially now since I've been back close around the area towards him, is he has really taught me what ministry is, um, and what long suffering really looks like towards people in your congregation. Because when I was there, I was a 
No, I mean, to be honest, I was a Calvinist. I was an angry Calvinist and I wanted to burn up all the people who were not Calvinists as treated them as heretics, that kind of thing. One of the things that he did was he helped me just kind of slow down and love me anyway and help me through whatever angst that I was going through just as a normal um, teenager, but also just the, the hurt that I also had from the church before prior. And so he really is the guy who helped me to understand these things, help me to navigate these through, through these things and really just help me not be so angry and love people through their problems. And the, another thing for him is that he, he's the guy who baptized me too. And so when I got, when I got uh, converted at 16, Prior to that, I had walked down the aisle and gotten baptized at least twice prior to that. Walked down the aisle as many times as I changed my socks. And so I had a whole I had this whole conversation with my family. Hey, all those times beforehand, I was not a Christian. You know, that that was not for me. Um, and so I got baptized um, there about a year after I got there. And so he really taught me also how to develop sermons. Um how to do those things, how to pray through sermons, you know, not just the study aspect, the intellect aspect, but also seeking the Lord through the message is praying up, you know, things like that. And he has a, he has this kind of quote on it. And sometimes it can be very annoying um, because when you're trying to deal with something in your life and you're like, okay, how do I deal with this? His best answer that he'll ever give you is pray about it. Chance does that to me all the time. And it's very annoying because you're looking for particular answers, right? You're, it's just not, it, he's not that kind of guy. Do what? It's a chance does that to me all the time. Yeah. And so it's very annoying because you're really looking for answers, but that's actually the best advice that he's ever given me. And then also just figuring out like, like I, he was, uh, he's real big on uh, Arkansas disaster relief. And he was uh, monumental in helping with the cleanup in regards to when when that tornado came through there. Um, He actually was helping get the the roads cleared so that first responders could get in. Um, And that he had to cut out, cut a tree off that way he can get to a newborn who was trapped in there in a house. So it was just like things like that. One of the things that he did is that he gave a talk at a neighboring association of ours. And what happens is that he brings this box of like this puzzle box. And it's those big ones, you know, it takes you several hours to go through and things like that. And he says, you know, every single of these pieces is you in particular in regards to working ministry and or disaster relief. See this little piece, you could just be going up and down the wrong, the, the road praying for people who were, experiencing disaster this little piece you're just killing flies with a fly swatter to keep the food off of everybody else's plate as they're coming in to feed the workers see all of that fits into the big piece of the puzzle which not only applies to disaster relief but also ministry in general of just being willing to do the little things like with you logan scrubbing the toilet so that other people don't have to. It's because of you literally figuring out ways. If you not, you may not be able to get into to your hands dirty, but really figuring out ways how to serve the people who are getting their hands dirty, and that understanding that is also ministry, and that is serving the community and your church and so on. So that's my first, Justin Murphy. He's still there to that day. He's been there almost twenty years. 18 years, 16 years that he's been there as pastor at Bexford Baptist. So if you're in uh, St. Francis County going towards Palestine, um, drop by there on Sunday. Definitely. So um, I, I interviewed one time at the uh, Palestine Cumberland Presbyterian church. Yeah. And um, that church Bexford Baptist, I think is just like literally down the road from Palestine CP church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's right up the road, and I I don't know if anything for the Cumberland Presbyterian Church as far as like what they do in the community, 
But if you've ever gone through Palestine, it is not what you saw before. Because Palestine used to be like this dying town that just had a few things in it and that was it. But now it's like a pharmacy. There's a doctor's office. There's two restaurants and things like that. It's just been, it's just exploded. Oh, I believe it. The Cumberland Presbyterian Church there is very big in the community. Uh, mm-hmm. Matter of fact, they do a lot back start. They do a lot back for Baptist Church as far as community goes. Uh, yeah. And the reason they they actually wanted me to come and they were interested in having me as their pastor, but um, but I I didn't go because they wanted a pastor who had like who was thirty five years old but had forty years of experience and. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they were that kind of church that wanted you in the office 40 hours a week plus 26 hours a week in the community. Yeah. So. It's understandable. So the second uh, person on my list is actually my father-in-law, Scott. Um, he's been in ministry for 30 some odd years and previously in the independent Baptist realm and came over to Arkansas actually to leave it and join the SBC and that's helped him out, you know, loads of ways that more than, uh, more than just what the obvious things would be. Um, but he's really helped me how to love people also. Um, like how to, how to allow God to fight your battles and to force you to, even though me and him disagree on a lot of different things, but for the most part, he has been instrumental in regards to who I need to talk to during a problem at a church. Who I need to, you know, hey, I need prayer for this. This is going on, and I don't know what to do for it, and I'm just broken over it. He's there. Not only because he's family, because he actually loves me as a brother. And he has treated me as such, and he's welcomed me into the family, and he's made sure that you are part of the family. You know, not just because you married my daughter, but because you are part of the family. And um, he's really have helped me to love people and to allow God to fight your battles. So that's, yeah, more could be said about that, those two especially. But I think the third one, the last one for me is, and I was kind of racking my brain over because there was a time where I was thinking, it's like, well, I guess I really don't have a third guy, you know, just who I can talk to. But it actually... Um, the third guy is actually uh, my now social missionary. He's also the pastor at Colt Baptist, um, about 30 minutes from here. And and so um, he is our social missionary now. And one of the things that he's also helped me out is realizing how to do ministry. Because prior to really even me coming here to Cherry Valley, I think I was still an angry Calvinist to the point and thinking that, oh, you know, you've got to teach them right. You can't teach them how to do effective ministry without them first knowing how to do things. And that's true in a way, but it also handicaps people a lot of times because what you're expecting them to do is just have this grade level seminary education then they can start working. And that's not what ministry is. Um, since I've been around him and him allowing essentially what he says to actually be worth something, I think, yeah, that's been the most helpful for me. And to just figure out how to do ministry, how to do the degree, how did you, you know, do evangelism tool and in a way that people will be remembering that's easy for them to remember and things like that. How do you do discipleship? You know, what is the simple way to do discipleship and how can you train them in such a way that it's easy for them to remember and mimic and for them to go and do it and so on and so forth. Um, That's been probably the most helpful for me. Um, Since I have been here, I've probably been the most mentally and ministry healthy um, that I've been since really that I've been in ministry. It's been a very trying time a few times, um, but for the most part, it has been very great, especially being here, being near those guys again. So that's my list. Well, that's good stuff. Yeah. Yep. Well, that about does it, fellas. 
if yep. you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for the show, uh, feel free to email us at Ryan. What's the email? 2mbbpod at gmail.com. 2mbbpod at gmail.com. Uh, send us your thoughts, questions, comments, and snide remarks. Especially the snide remarks. Yeah. yeah. All direct them all towards Logan. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I mean, that probably will be anyway, but <laughs> well, gentlemen, been real. It's been fun, but sorry. It hadn't been real fun. <laughs>